Last one to the party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. Thank you for joining us once again on Last One to the Party. It's the attack of the two-parters. We have another episode that was broken up into two parts. We talked to Ben Bromfield a little bit earlier about The Sting, and he's back to talk about Jaws. Only going to talk to him about Robert Shaw movies, apparently. Ben is still doing Boss Baby and Where's Waldo? I do have another show coming out in 2021. It's called Ginny and Georgia. It's coming out on Netflix. I don't know exactly when it's coming out. I believe it's coming out in 2021. It's like a young adult dramedy, fish out of water thing, sort of. It's, it's, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. You should just watch it. This conversation goes down a music scoring rabbit hole really quickly. And so we get really deep into what it is to score for film, this particular score for Jaws, a bunch of other really interesting things. And then part two next week, we'll get into the movie itself. So I hope you enjoy this part one of Jaws with Ben Bromfield. How much had you heard about Jaws or known about Jaws before you saw it? I mean, I'm a film composer, man. Like, come on. Like, uh, <laughs> it is the pivotal theme. I mean, they teach us about, I went to school for film scoring too before I, you know, got into the career. And, um, you know, how do you teach something like film scoring? You look at John Williams is a huge, huge part of it. When you talk about thematicism in music, which is a huge part of how um, you score anything, well, most things, some, some scores are just not melodic at all, but even those have an element of thematicism. Sometimes you use the same kind of tones for similar situations, but for my animated TV shows, it's the same thing. You come up with a motif, musical motif, a little melody uh, for this character, this situation, whatever. And like the Jaws shark theme is like the quintessential, the easiest, it's the easiest thing to explain if you're explaining that concept. That is the thing that I have always known about it. And part of what made it interesting to finally watch the movie, I think, is um, it doesn't play like I expected it to or... Yeah, I get this when I watch older movies a lot. The spotting is always different than I expected in terms of like um, where the music goes and where it cuts out and all that. That's one thing. But also like I think I expected it to be more of the score to be like that, but it's really not. It's a lot more like fantastical, mystical than I expected the rest of the score. And it creates this contrast with that theme that uh, is really effective it makes it so you can be afraid of something without seeing it, uh, which is a huge part of this movie that I really appreciated. And one of those things that's just like so charming about watching a movie from a different era. Not, I guess there are, there is a trope where like you don't see the monster or whatever until the very end, whatever, but like, it's just never done this well. Like it's just, it's so good. And there's all, there's so much tension before you see it. And the score is a huge part of that. And that theme specifically but yeah, I mean, I think this is such a long answer to your question. But getting back to it, it's da 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 da. That's what I knew about Jaws going in. <laughs> Do you know the lore behind the movie of why they didn't show the shark as much? My guess is that it has something to do with technical or budget or something. Huge mechanical difficulties because there was no CGI in 75. So they had that mechanical shark and it kept malfunctioning. They're also shooting out on the ocean, not in a tank in a studio. And so they have to wait until there's complete 
clearance. No planes, no helicopters, no other boats in the shot. And they've got to deal with this malfunctioning shark. So Spielberg, on his first big film, to his credit, is like, let's do it this way. It's a better movie because of it. Well, it definitely wouldn't have endured in the same way, I'm sure. Jurassic Park is a great example of a film he did later where the practical effects are why it endures. But yeah, they probably weren't at that level in when was it? 70... 75, I think. 75. Yeah. Like we're like, yeah. I mean, when you do see the shark, it is, it's not a great looking shark, but because you're so damn invested in the story and the film at that point, like it is fucking terrifying. <laughs> like, you know, if you saw just like a picture of it, like a screenshot, you'd be like, that's not a real shark. <laughs> that's one of the things when I've come across it on TV or started to rewatch it, I wonder if somebody watching it right now for the first time would be laughing at that shark but i'm gladdened to hear that the journey of the movie validates that practical effect of that shark right and yeah i mean to just to dwell a little bit again on the the original question like it's kind of amazing how little i knew about this movie going in like i knew it about it was about the shark and yeah i knew i knew that one theme i didn't even know any of the other music and was surprised by the other music by the tone of it and this movie is credited, I think, for being the first blockbuster, the, the first movie where people went back to see it multiple times. So I want to go back for a second. You, you mentioned something about the spotting of where the music comes in is different. Is that something that has changed stylistically over the years? And can you give me a little bit, slightly bit more explanation of what, that, what an example of that might be? I wouldn't say that this is a hard and fast rule, but... One thing I can say with some amount of certainty is that a lot of movies now have more music going on in them. The music is doing heavy lifting for various other things that aren't selling the acting or something about it. Um, that's not specifically the case. It's not always covering up for some weakness, but definitely stylistically. Like if you watch like a Marvel movie, there's basically score through the whole thing. Like there's so much music in movies now. So it's more about the moments left unscored. Um, and this is generally true about older movies. Like I said, it's a little bit of a stylistic shift to have so much music in movies. But one thing that I noticed about it is that a lot of the tense moments, the arrival of things were left unscored. Like you'll hear the score as he's approaching, but when it arrives and bites someone, it's gone and it's all sound effects and screaming modern you know slasher movies or you know there, there's a lot of the time there's there's a big boom and some crazy shit happening when people are scared um there's music helping that there's busy music or there's horrific sounds and the music and there's you know, the strings are doing some effect that's terrifying and in this movie it's just gone and all you're hearing is the crunching of the boat and the waves and all of this stuff but it's the anticipation that it's there to do so it's kind of it's doing a different job it's not holding your hand while you experience the actual terror of the moment of the terrifying moment but it's helping guide you to that or make you feel the anticipation leading up to it he's using the music to sort of make you wonder uh-oh what's about to happen and then let right, the moment exactly. speak yeah. for itself. One other term that you're throwing out there about motifs for like characters and things like that, is that kind of a composition hard and fast rule? Or is that a thing that just tends to make it better? Or is it just a matter of personal preference? Because I always think of Star Wars, you've got the Darth Vader theme 
but I don't know that I'm as aware of it with other movies. And I didn't know if that was sort of like a general guideline. It's definitely a stylistic choice and it's not always necessary or desired. Different uh, filmmakers have different preferences about this sort of thing, but John Williams is pretty much accepted to be the absolute master theme writer. And so a lot of his movies tend to have this. It's not always a character theme, although like sometimes it's it can just be a, a situation really anything that reoccurs and some movies don't have any of this you might have just like the theme of the movie and it might come back at times in the score like you know as in like the the theme that plays over the main title i would say there's also less thematicism in scores now than there used to be i'd say at that time i feel like the 90s are more like my home where you know i kind of grew up in the 90s but part of the reason i haven't seen jaws probably (laughs) until now that's kind of what i think of as a you know the good old days i guess or whatever (laughs) that means but like i think it was a lot more common back then to have a very thematically driven score that addressed more uh, obvious things like this character has this sound but i mean i do that all the time in, in my shows in the boss baby score you know, all, all of the villains have a very specific theme and instrument. I would say the short answer is yes, it's a, it's a very common thing to happen, but not all uh, filmmakers want that. Um, sometimes it's too heavy handed for some people. Now I want to circle back onto John Williams and I want you, it sounds like you're an unequivocal fan, but I have had classical composer friends of mine turn their nose up at him because of this the accusation, I guess, that he is lifting whole cloth from other composers. Like the Jaws theme is similar to Rite of Spring, things like that. So how well versed are you in classical music to even have a sense of any of that? And where do you stand on that? I think that I'm more in the same camp as you than your friends, where like I have also heard the things. I've heard some of the pieces and I've heard what people are talking about. I think um, I think it's E.T., might be the one that sounds like the New World Symphony, the Dvorak piece. I forget exactly which one. You know, I don't care. (laughs) I mean, I think that film scoring specifically is, okay, I think the best way to sum it up involves where does film score fit into the broader context of, let's say, orchestral music. The way that orchestral music is viewed or classical music well, let's call it orchestral so we don't confuse it with the era. But uh, the way that orchestral music is viewed by the composition world as opposed to the film scoring world or the film world is the harmonic language that's used in most film scores is from like 150 years ago <laughs> or like 100 years ago. It's like people in the early 1900s, they were writing classical music that sounds more like the scores we have today. That was the last time that modern orchestral music was like pleasing to the ears and like had a clear emotion in the way that like we kind of experience. If you listen to Maurice Ravel or uh, Claude Debussy or those guys, I mean, that's kind of my favorite era of the Impressionists. It's just this beautiful lush music or or, um, Rimsky-Korsakov or uh, Tchaikovsky, these people, like it's just like this deep, thick orchestra it just makes you feel things and then you listen to arnold schoenberg which is also like 100 years ago at this point but that was like the cutting edge of 
orchestral music. And then that kind of opened things up. It stopped being tonal, you know, the difference between tonal and atonal without getting too academic here. I mean, tonal is essentially music that makes sense to our ears as far as where the key center is. It's in the key of this atonal being it's, it really to most listeners just kind of sounds like it's all over the place. It has no resting place. It has no home base. Yeah. There's no sun that we're all orbiting around. Right. And I think that um, atonal music, a lot of time we, we go back to Arnold Schoenberg, this stuff that's just completely out there, doesn't have a tonal center, but it's really it's just like modern composition changed from being about harmony, like harmony that we use in jazz and stuff too, and more into creating the effect of something, something different. Like, you know, I, I went to see um, the LA Phil and uh, there was a piece there. It was a new composer. I found like the string orchestra, it sounded like a synthesizer. He had written this piece to sound like the whole orchestra sounded like one evolving synthesizer. And I was like, well, that's really cool. But I mean, like, that's the kind of stuff that the composition world is doing, stretching the bounds of like, what is music? Now in the film scoring world, it's much more direct. It's kind of doing the same job as the people in the romantic period, like, or the impressionist period, like I mentioned, where they're just trying to evoke an emotion using Western harmony. I guess what I'm saying is in the composition world, there's way more emphasis on being original in like the literal sense or yeah, like being as original as possible and like stretching the boundaries of what is music um, and what can music do. And in the film world, it's not about the music. It's about the story and it's about telling the story. And so him being inspired by other people, you know, ripping things off whole cloth. I think that's a little strong. I do think that he was a very, or is, is, and was a very um, studied musician, both as a jazz pianist and also as a classical pianist. And so I know he was familiar with all of this work, but it's mostly just, I think it's okay to pluck things from your influences in the service of the story. It's all about the story. He wrote this music, not expecting it to be listened to on its own. That wasn't the point. And so people listening to it now on its own and judging it in a specific way is kind of, I think, missing the point for them a little bit. Any good film composer knows how to fully just, I mean, you are putting yourself, you're a storyteller, you know, you, you are a dramatist. That's what Hans Zimmer says or you're not really making music, you're telling a story. And so I would say that the, uh, since the goal is different than a regular composer, the, the way it should be viewed should also be different. So give him a break. <laughs> yeah, you're in service of the images that are on the screen. You're not, you don't have the luxury of an audience who's there to be perplexed and delighted and confused. And I like that idea that you're a dramatist, but the movie's been written and acted and, and shot, so you don't get to create the narrative, but you're there to fill out and flesh out the narrative. And to get back to like you know the idea of of stealing stuff, whatever, it's your responsibility to do that as best as you possibly can. And if that means that you get a melody idea, or you're like, oh, that thing that Vor that Vorjak did you know, I should maybe do something like that for this character. That's kind of perfect. 
I don't really see a problem with that, especially since the stuff's in the public domain. <laughs> and as you say, it's mind boggling to me to realize that stuff is a hundred or more years old. It, that stuff is so old and it's just like, you gotta use all of the tools you have available to tell this story. And John Williams is, he is, he is more than that theme that sounds like that other theme. I mean, the craft is just, he's unmatched. When you talk about he's making this music that he didn't expect anyone to listen to on a much smaller scale, years and years ago, I did audio production at ABC News. And when I crafted together a music bed and left just the instrumental parts of some current song and took out the vocal and, and, the, and the edit was seamless, I was so pleased. I was so proud. Like, I matched that beat. I've locked and you can't hear it. I would bring my, my friend that I worked with. I'd say, listen to this. Point out the edit. And he never could. And I was like, listen to that. I'm so good at this. And of course, you put the piece together and nobody cares. They're listening to what the yeah. story is about. Oh. And I came to realize I only have a problem doing that job when somebody says, hey, what happened there? If they're noticing something, that means I'm not doing it right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of jobs in the in the film world that are like that I, I would say screenwriting is probably the same like nobody notices it unless it's a problem <laughs> well you know sometimes people are like oh man that was a great joke it was really occasionally i will say something like that that scene was but a lot of the time i think if, if you're thinking about this or that while viewing the thing rather than just being immersed in it it usually means that thing is not doing its job could mean that it's too good in the case of music in a sense it could mean that it's too like attention grabby you know that it's it's just there's too much going on or whatever or specifically i get distracted when um scoring doesn't fit i watched a, a show recently that i won't name because i don't want to call anybody out but there was a scene that was scored it was just so weird it was a perfectly fine piece of music it was well crafted I liked the piece of music, but the placement of it felt so off to me. I was like, what am I supposed to be feeling right now? Watching this scene, it feels like it's supposed to be tenuous, but all these major chords and they're they're not done in like a clever way that is tenuous. It's just, I, I don't know what happened there, but it completely took me out of it. <laughs> I got to say this and pulling it back to Jaws. There were some scenes where it, it didn't take me out of it, but I, I noticed the different style of the scoring, the non-shark scenes. There was a scene where they're hunting the shark and the music was like pretty jovial. It was like an adventure. They were on a hunt. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that to me, like, that's not a bad thing because in that case, like you just described, they were on, it was an adventure. They were on a hunt. It was saying something, you know, it was saying something different and that was part of the movie. And that was, I'm sure... Spielberg's intent or you know his direction to him was to make it feel that way and the genius of that also is that it gives contrast if the entire score is all foreboding and oh watch out oh is it over there is it over there pretty soon you get inured to it you, you're numb to it and I'm pretty sure that if that movie were made today that's how it would be scored you know and that's what's so interesting about it to me like I, I feel like people don't give the audience that kind of breathing room um, or I should say movies are way more genre specific now like this isn't really a horror movie like I, I don't it's a man versus nature story there are horrific elements and there's also like some sort of light comedy and camaraderie of these guys it's more like an into the wild type thing in a way where it's like man versus nature and and it's like that theme 
I think of more as more of a literary theme, but that's like the central genre to me, at least. You can find Last One to the Party online at Twitter by searching Last One to the Party. You can find us on Instagram at last.one.two.the.party.podcast. Easy. If you'd like to, you can reach out and send us an email at lastonetothepartypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at james underscore eason underscore music. The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by me, James Eason. Thank you once again for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next time.